Good morning, church family. Thank you. Praise God for the rain. What do you say, huh? Yeah, praise God for the rain. And happy Father's Day, dads. We salute you. We celebrate you. Thank you for all you do for our families. Let's give the dads here a round of applause. This morning, I want to have us look to our greater Father, our Heavenly Father, and consider our eternal relationship with Him. We're in a series of messages entitled, Your Questions, God's Answers. Today's question, is salvation really forever? So what say ye? Yes? No? Don't know? If you're in that final category, you're in the right place. Because we want to give you God's truth to give you assurance. I must say to you that as your counseling pastor, it is not at all unusual for folks to come into my office and they really, really do wonder, am I saved? Am I still saved because of what I'm going through? That's especially true of folks who are going through a fearful time, anxiety, depression, Almost seems to go with the territory. They're so introspective, so cross-examining themselves. Especially true of those who have sinned egregiously. And they wonder aloud, can I sin away the grace of God? When the fault lines of our lives begin to appear, the shaking ground beneath our feet can prompt us to fear. And we need solid truth to get us through those times of doubts and fears. Pastor counselor Nicholas Allen, who has spoken from this platform, he has spoken here in the context of a Christian counseling conference, and he shared a helpful insight. Just take note of this. I just love this. He said, people suffer because they have a human observation without a biblical interpretation. Let that sink in. I love songs with biblical interpretation. Pastor Paul does a wonderful job. I asked him to sing that song we just sang a moment ago because Keith Getty, who penned it, gives us lyrics that provide us gospel hope for those who are truly followers of Christ. And I say truly because not everyone here, perhaps, really genuinely knows Christ, has never been born again. But if you are in Christ, God's word gives you assurance. Today I want to wrap my thoughts around the hymn we just sang, He Will Hold Me Fast. Look again at the lyrics to the first stanza and notice carefully the emphasis on fear. When I fear, my faith will fail. Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, He will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. Can can you relate to this fear? This, This fear of personal inability, satanic capability, cold hearted culpability? Full disclosure, I can. You just need to know that that uh, many of us here have gone through these same valley experiences. When I was a kid, I had a horrific battle 
with a lack of assurance of salvation. I was in bondage. Late grade school, junior high, early high school. Am I saved? Am I not saved? The reason was my focus was on self instead of on the Savior. And these were the looping questions that went through my head. Would the sinner's prayer save me if I prayed it repetitiously in fear? What if I doubted after I prayed? What if my faith was too weak to qualify as saving faith? Well, those are the kind of questions I wrestled with. I'm happy to report that God was merciful to me in giving me biblical interpretation along the way. And that's what this message is all about. Uh, I love this quote from Robert Murray McChain, a 19th century Scottish preacher. Write this one down if you're struggling. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. Christ, not self, is the one who holds me fast. Now in your Bibles, if you would please turn to Romans chapter 8, which is the classic text in the New Testament on the subject of eternal security. The writer of this text, the Apostle Paul, began his deep dive into this subject matter by identifying the source of our insecurity, namely our fear. We're going to begin by looking at verse 15 and look to the reference of the word fear. Paul writes, for you, he's talking to the believers of the church at Rome, those who are genuinely in Christ, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. The fear he's talking about is the bondage due to a lack of assurance of salvation. But conversely, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. He's talking about our inheritance from God through Christ, the doctrine of adoption. Because of Christ, we are not slaves, we are sons. Now, as I look at verse 15 in the context, I find the first of three reasons why our salvation is forever. Here it is, number one. We are held fast because of our connection to Christ. He's the one who holds us fast. Of course, that's the operative word picture in this hymn. I love the imagery of John chapter 10 where Jesus likens himself to the good shepherd. He in scripture is the good shepherd, the chief shepherd. He's the great shepherd. And he likens us to sheep. And he says in verse 27, my sheep, he's talking possessively, they, they hear my voice. There's the effectual call as theologians call it. They will hear my voice, and I know them. Greek word gnosko, which means I have a special intimate relationship with them. They are mine. Before the foundation of the world, I chose them to be mine. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. If you're in Christ, you will follow him, and I give to them eternal life. Tell me, class, how long is eternal? It is forever, and they will never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And then in verse 29, he goes on and says, My Father, who is greater than all, has given them to me. There's divine election. He's given them to me, and they will never perish. Here it is again. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my Father's hand. So we've got two-handed security here. We're held fast by Jesus we're held fast by the Father because of our connection to Him through Jesus, which qualifies us to be the sons of God. We are doubly secure, and there is no double jeopardy in the family of God. If you look at verses 16 and 17, 
Paul goes on to describe the Spirit. The Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. You know that you know if you're in Christ. And if children, then you're heirs. You're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. The Father, by nature, according to this text, holds us fast. Last time I preached to you, which was about two months ago, I pointed to the fact that my father was my earthly hero. I still remember going to his deathbed in the fall of 2007 at Sanford Hospital in Sioux Falls, pastoring in northern Kentucky just outside of Cincinnati. I flew home because I love my dad so much. He was in and out, and I, I reached over the bed, and I hugged him, and I kissed him, and I wept over him, and I said, Dad, thank you so much for being a godly example to me. He came out of his stupor for a moment, and he said, you're my son. And I replied, and you're my dad, and you will be forever. To which he weakly replied, that's a long time. Forever is a long time. That earthly relationship points to the greater and eternal relationship we have with our Heavenly Father, who in our text is called Abba. It's a term of endearment. It's an Aramaic term that really could be translated Daddy. It's such a sweet term. Daddies love their kids. They protect their kids. You know, we don't hang on to our Heavenly Daddy so much as really He hangs on to us. And maybe you went to Farmer's Market yesterday downtown and a lot of folks there and maybe you held your little toddlers tightly by the hand because you know that it could be a a dangerous place. You protected them. Maybe you went to Cascade Falls Water Park yesterday, took your kids to the kiddie pool, put the little floaties on them and you urged them, daddies, jump. Daddy will catch you and they scare you. And they jump and daddy catches them. He always catches them. And then he or mommy leads them into the pool and they find out, I'm secure in daddy's and mommy's hand. We like to ask the question, can a Christian lose his salvation? But it's really the wrong question. The real question is, can God lose a Christian? Can the Almighty God lose his grip on his children? Listen carefully. If I can't do anything to earn my salvation, I can't do anything to lose my salvation. And conversely, I say this to my Arminian friends, if I can do something to lose my salvation, it's tantamount to saying I can do something to gain my salvation, which means it's no more of grace, but it's of works. No, it doesn't depend on us. I can't unsave myself because salvation is of the Lord. He holds us fast. Change the imagery, the word picture, just a bit, taking you to Hebrews chapter 6, where Jesus is likened to an anchor that holds us fast. Let me read the text for you. We have fled for refuge, implied to Christ. We have a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. And we have this as a sure and steadfast, here's the word, anchor, of the soul, that's Jesus, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. In context, it's talking about 
the most holy place in the Old Testament tabernacle or temple. Once a year, the great high priest would go in bringing a sacrifice on Yom Kippur to make an offering for the sins, an atonement for the sins of the people of Israel. Jesus is our great high priest who has gone in and offered once for all a sacrifice that satisfies the righteous demands of God, and he's now sitting down at the right hand of the Father. He is up in heaven, and he's holding us fast as an anchor to the soul. I pastored for nearly 27 years in the greater Seattle area, actually across in the West Sound region, across from Seattle, across Elliott Bay, Puget Sound. The Kitsap Peninsula, the largest city there, was named Bremerton home of the Puget Sound Naval Shipyard. Lots of ships anchored there, some being refurbished. Some were in mothballs, such as the USS Missouri, Mighty Mo, the famous ship, on the deck of which World War II was ended when the Imperial Forces of Japan signed that surrender in the presence of General Douglas MacArthur, September 2, 1945, anchored there in uh, Tokyo Bay. These gigantic ships came equipped with anchors of massive size. You, you see a picture there. The Missouri has two anchors, both more than 15 tons in weight, 1,000 feet of chain to reach the bottom of the ocean floor to keep them anchored. Those anchors went down. Our anchor goes up. Jesus is up in heaven, and we are anchored there. We're seated in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus. Until that day, he pulls us up from earth to join him in heaven. Therefore, if we're connected to Christ, we do not need to fear. Remember, for every look at self, take ten looks at Christ. To the second stanza of Getty's song, those he saves are his delight Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. Here's the second reason that our salvation is forever. Number two, we're held fast because of the promises of God. What is Romans 8 if not a catalog of God's promises on eternal security. It, it starts with no condemnation and ends with no separation. Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation. No, everybody say no. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And the very last verse, verse 39, nothing, nothing, no one can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. And in between are verses like verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared, here's the promise, with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And then verses 31 and 32, I love this. What then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? If God be for us, the Bible says, he who did not spare his son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also graciously give us all things? That means I'm connecting, God says, past grace with future grace. I'm connecting the cross with the crown. You're going to make it. You're going to be secure. 
We could add many more promises from this chapter. The entire Bible is full of them. I want to go to one outside our text because it's become so precious to me. If you have your Bible, I'd like you to look with me at, at Luke chapter 6, verse 37 a moment. I'll, I'll put it on the screen for you too. This verse became especially precious back in February. I was reading Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, which I highly recommend. And uh, he wrapped a chapter, Dane did, around this verse. And here's what the verse says. All that the Father gives me, there's election, will come to me. There, there's irresistible grace. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Literally in the Greek, I will not not cast out. I.e., I will most certainly never cast out. Again, back to full disclosure. I'm going to show you some of my warts here today. Sometimes when I feel like I have blown it for the umpteenth time with a particular sin, I think to myself, if I were God, I would have kicked me to the curb. And I would have said, I am so done with you, DeGraff. But he never does that. He never does that. Back in February, when I was stricken with COVID, struggling physically, the devil played pile on spiritually and emotionally. And given my introspective nature, I went fishing in the deep sea, the lagoon of dark thoughts, and I needed comfort. And I got it from this verse. It helped me so much. In fact, Dane, in his chapter, plays out an imaginary conversation between us and God. I put myself in this. I want you to put yourself in this. I, I shared this with my cell group. Listen carefully. No, no, wait, we say, cautiously approaching Jesus. You don't understand. I've really messed up in all kinds of ways. I know, he responds. You know most of it, sure, certainly more than what others see, but there's a perversity down inside of me that is hidden from everyone. I know it all. Well, the thing is, it isn't just my past, it's my present too. I understand. But I don't know if I can break free of this anytime soon. That's the only kind of person I'm here to help. The burden is heavy and it's heavier all the time. Then let me carry it. It's too much to bear, not for me. You don't get it. My offenses aren't directed toward others. They're against you. Then I'm the one most suited to forgive them. But the more of the ugliness in me you discover, the sooner you'll get fed up with me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Thank God. Dane added one more comment. God's forgiving, redeeming, restoring touch reaches down into the darkest crevices of our souls. Those places where we are most ashamed, most defeated. More than this, those crevices of sin are themselves the places where Christ loves us the most. His heart willingly goes there. His heart is most strongly drawn there. How can God do such an amazing thing? Let's go back to our song, the final stanza. For my life, he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. 
he will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast till our faith is turned to sight when he comes at last. Be a good place for an amen. amen. He's coming back and he's going to make you just like himself, perfect, glorious. Here's the third reason our salvation is forever. Number three, we're held fast because of the completed work of Christ. Oh boy, it really gets good here. Ugh, I love this, the meaty part of the chapter. All this doctrine, theology on fire. <laughs> Between verses 31 and 35, there are seven rhetorical questions. A rhetorical question by nature implies an obvious answer. I only have time to talk about two of those questions. Here they are. Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Verse 34a, who is to condemn? And the answer to these rhetorical questions is no one. Let's say that louder. No one. Thank God, no one. Why? Why? Verse 34 explains why. Here it is. Who is to condemn? No one. Why? Christ is the one who died, that's why, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Do you see the totality of what God has done for you if you were in Christ? He died to pay for our sins. He's been raised because of our justification. And now he intercedes for us forever. The blood of Christ cancels out our sin, and the resurrection of Christ declares victory over our sin. Some of you are thinkers and you're with me and you're wondering perhaps this question. But if the penalty for our sin is forever, i.e. eternal hell, why didn't Jesus have to suffer forever? Answer, it's not duration that saves us, it's expiation. The X in expiation means out of or from. Expiation is the removal from the guilt of our sin. Hebrews 10, 17, when you're in Christ, their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future in Jesus Christ. And that's your security. Jesus' ongoing intercession carries that on forever because Christ is representing us right now before the throne of God. Hebrews 7.25, he is able to save completely all who come unto God through him, that is through Jesus, seeing that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. Where is Jesus right now? Where is he? He's at the right hand of the Father. What's he doing? He's representing, he's praying for you. And when you sin, he says, Father, you see these nails? Prince in my hand, I died for those sins. He's representing you. And as long as Jesus is alive, you can never be lost. And he's alive forever. Wow. I realize there's many questions you probably have about eternal security. I don't have time to deal with them all. But what the reformers call a perseverance of the saints, uh, so many things I could say. Uh, some of your additional questions might be like, well, Pastor Kerr, what about Matthew chapter 12 when Jesus talks about the unpardonable sin or blasphemy of the Spirit? What about Hebrews chapter 6 where it seems like a believer can lose his salvation once he has it? 
What about the lifestyle of the well-known Christian apologist, Ravi Zacharias? Best-known Christian apologist in the world, who all the while, the last couple of decades, was living a double life of immorality, several continents with a number of women, hiding it from people, wasn't revealed until he was already gone. What about the deconstruction of the faith of Josh Harris, or as Pastor mentioned last week, what about the blasphemous statements of John Piper's son, Abraham Piper, who was denied the faith? Or at the conclusion of our text in Romans 8, what is all the extreme suffering we go through in life? What does that mean about how God thinks about us or feels about it? The fact we're going through so much horrific difficulty, does that mean that God's done with us, that he's given up on us, that we're no longer saved? I'm going to do a podcast this week and try to answer those questions for you with Pastor Paul's help, and I urge you to look on in order to extend the time here. But let me assure you of this. Any true born-again child of God can never be lost because eternal life is it's forever. Romans 8 is very clear. God will never go back on what he has promised. What do you suppose is the best known verse in Romans chapter 8? Maybe verse 28? God works all things together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. What is the good in context? If you study the chapter, the good is your eternal security. The good is the fact that he is going to make you like Jesus. If you connect it to verse 29, remember context in the Bible. For those he, whom he foreknew, he knew beforehand, he did predestine, he chose beforehand to conform you to the image of God's Son. He's going to make you just like Jesus. That's security. That he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now that text goes on, because you've got to read the whole of the context, and I just love this, what theologians call the golden chain. Theology is so rich, it gives you such a foundation. Here it is, linking all of these great theological terms. Get them down in your soul, and it gives you strength. For whom he foreknew, it means to love beforehand, to know beforehand. He did predestine. What does that mean? He chose beforehand to make you like Jesus. And those he predestined, he called. That's the effectual call. It's like the voice of Jesus with Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. And he who was dead came forth, bound hand and foot. You cannot resist the call of God. When the Spirit draws you, you know it. That's God talking. And you must come. And thank God many of you have. Those he called, he justified. He declared righteous in the courtroom of heaven. He sees no more sin. He sees only the righteousness of Christ in you. That's why you're called a saint, a hagias, a holy one, because you're in Christ. And those he justified, notice the past tense, he glorified. Why is it past tense? Because it's as good as done in God's sight. You're going to be perfect, just like Jesus. He who hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God finishes what he begins. How do we get in on this salvation in Christ? Well, stated simply, we have to turn away from any self-reliance, repent of our sins, any kind of self-effort whatsoever, rites, rituals, works, and we must put all of our faith in the work of Jesus Believing what God says about him. The plan of salvation is listed in the verse we read a moment ago, verse 34. Look at it again. Here it is. 
Who is to condemn? Remember, no one. Why? Because Christ is the one who died more than that who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. I got good news for you. If you believe that from the heart, he will save you and hold you fast forever. Will you believe that? Do you believe that? Uh, Back to my own life story. When I was a kid, I was in horrific bondage. I tell you, it was awful. My mind was racing, this looping, questioning, going on in my head. Did I feel it right? Did I think it right? Which of those 10,000 times I invited Christ into my life was the the time when he saved me? Anybody relate to that? (laughs) What a bondage that is. You know what? I had to give up saying, it doesn't matter which of those times. I had to ask myself, Kurt, am I right now trusting in Christ alone, his death to pay for my sin and his resurrection from the dead to prove that it satisfied God? Is that what I'm trusting? And I, by the voice of the Spirit, I said, yeah, he's my only hope. I'm trusting in Christ alone. And I found assurance. Because it says in 1 John 5, 12, he that has the Son has what? His life eternal life. God is life. Christ is life. Back in 2015, the McDonald's Corporation was endeavoring to try to reduce errors in their drive-through orders. And they came up with a method called ask, ask, tell. So you drive up in your car to the first window where you order And after your order, the employee is instructed to say, did you order a Big Mac combo with a large Coke? You go up to the pay window. Before you pay, they're instructed to ask you, did you ask for a Big Mac combo meal with a large Coke? Yeah, okay. And then you finally go to where you pick up the food window, and they're instructed here to move from ask to tell. Here is your Big Mac combo with a large Coke. I'm making you hungry, I know. (laughs) Let me apply this spiritually. Did you come to God with a broken spirit in repentance and say, I'm a sinner, I can't save myself, but I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose again? Next window. Did you? Did you give up on yourself, your own works in repentance, and did you believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose again? Pick up the meal, salvation in this case. At this window, we tell you, (laughs) based upon the assuring words of Scripture, if you confess, say the same thing with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, that he died for you, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God's word gives us assurance when we simply rest in what he has promised. By the way, in that spiritual illustration, when you come to the pay window, the employee, in this case, Kurt, gets to tell you, by the way, The driver of the car ahead of you, he paid for your meal. 
His name is Jesus Christ. <laughs> you remember what he said just before he died? Greek word, tetelestai. It is finished. Do you know what that means? It's literally paid in full. <laughs> Hallelujah. Paid in full. So if, my friend, today you put your faith and trust after turning from self-reliance, I am here to assure you that based upon the word of God, you have eternal life. For God so loved the world, you can say it with me, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. Believe that and he will hold you fast. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the simple truths of your word. Those of us here, perhaps framed like me, who do a lot of introspection, worry, fear, cross-examination of self, we, we need this. Help us to just rest in what the word says. Blood makes us safe, the word makes us sure. Lord, if somebody is here and they've never put their trust in Christ, may they hear the calling voice of Jesus right now. I want you. Believe on me and I'll save you and I will hold you fast. May you prompt them in this moment, Lord, to choose to believe, to know that the driver in the car in front of them already paid for their, their full meal deal, the whole of salvation, including security. I pray as we sing this song one more time, the words will become especially precious to us. Christ will hold me fast. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing?